Hello and welcome to another MTP Connect podcast. Stuart Dignam with you and uh, really glad to have you along. An ageing population, chronic disease and technological development mean that medical devices are becoming more and more a part of our daily lives. It's big companies like ResMed, it's new entrants like Apple, but it's also startups and entrepreneurs and early stage innovators. The Medical Device Partnering Program, otherwise known as MDPP, is a key player in Australia's medical devices sector. They're supported by MTP Connect through our Growth Centre Program Fund, and they've just made a significant announcement, which we'll get to shortly. So let's meet the team from MDPP for this episode. Joining us are Professor Karen Reynolds. She is the director of MDPP and also Professor Sally MacArthur, who is the regional director for Victoria for MDPP. They're both with us. Hello and welcome. Hi, Stuart. Hi, Stuart. Thanks for having us. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, Karen, I'll begin with you. Give us, a, give us a quick overview of MDPP. What do you do? So the MDPP is basically an ideas incubator and we work with people and companies with good ideas for new medical device products. Um, we then try and connect those ideas to expertise from within our research institutions, from our hospitals, our clinics, uh, and then undertake short, short pieces of project work to really de-risk that idea and take the idea towards um, uh, proof of concept and prototype. Can we, can we delve into medical devices um, in particular? What... what... It, it's a range of, of devices and applications and, and wearables. C- can you explain a bit more about that sort of continuum of medical devices? Uh, absolutely. And, and certainly it's not restricted to um, what you would think of as a device or a widget. Um, we see medical devices really across that full range that goes from really just assistive devices that help people um, in their daily lives and particularly perhaps as you're getting older and you need some support, so really assistive devices, right through those that are used in the GP's clinic, that are used in hospitals, uh, through to implantable devices um, and devices to, to assist people, I guess, with disability and rehabilitation. So uh, obviously they have the potential to improve people's lives, um, uh, assist people in their daily lives, but they can also be big business, right? Yeah, so medical technologies offers a huge opportunity, I guess, in the the sort of commercial world. So um, medical devices at this stage are expanding really beyond those that are used in the clinic to be very much now going towards the kind of consumer markets, which are clearly opening up opportunities from a, um, a company and economic perspective. So people are now interested in being able to monitor their own health within the home. Um, They want to know what their heart's doing. They want to know how their fitness regime is going on. And this all really, I guess, opens up the market to to be much, much uh, more substantial than it it has been in the past. We also have that sort of range of chronic diseases that are really assisted by technology, Um, things like diabetes, to enable you to live your life as normally as possible because we're not looking at people, we're not looking at sick care, we're looking at health care and people maintaining their lifestyle while dealing with chronic diseases. So there's a vast range of things that help people live their lives um, as, for want of a better word, normally as possible, but are able to do as many things as they want to do. And so that reaches all the way through from digital healthcare, um, where you're supporting somebody to remind them to take their medications or just helping them track 
their everyday responses to things over a daytime cycle um, all the way through to the things that go back to your doctor. So it's very much um, moving towards the um, person-driven healthcare so that you're taking responsibility as well. And there's also a shift, I guess, from really looking at um, curative and therapeutic type um, support really through to prevention, um, which again opens up a whole new aspect of of technology. So it's around um, keeping people um, well rather than trying to cure them when they get sick. So Sally, in, in, in addressing these sort of emerging opportunities and, and trying to keep people well, how active is the Australian medtech community? Very active. And that's where so many of our startups are coming from, I think, in this community. And so many of the ideas we're seeing within the medical device partnering program are very much about um, how do you monitor yourself, but also how do you... Um, understand the level you're at and how do you get assistance for small things that might be going on in your world or track um, and detail things that are going on in your world. The other side of that, though, is then the sort of things that um, surgeons come up with, which are going to assist them to doing less invasive surgery or uh, sort of building into their ability to monitor their patients after care as well, so that we're seeing more and more people um, being released from hospital quite quickly. We want them out of hospital. Um, we want them in their own environments, but we need to be able to create an environment, uh, create a system where we can make sure that they're okay um, without having to drag them back into doctor's appointments. And in a country like Australia, I think that's hugely important because people live in more remote communities. They may not have the um, direct access to support. So the types of things we do actually open up the market um, to being in more diverse locations with more diverse people. And you guys started uh, out of Flinders University in, in South Australia. Um, how did the idea come about for MDPP? Um, I guess it was driven by my own experiences as an academic working in medical device development. Um, and clearly, if you're working in that space, you need to engage with uh, you know a number of stakeholder groups. And that would include, firstly, the clinicians, um, the aged care providers, perhaps, who are, who are working with the technologies, um, but also, obviously, as well, the, the industry and the companies who can take them to market. Uh, and trying to get those groups um, talking together and working together isn't as straightforward as it, it might sound. Um, and so although there was a willingness, it, the, there were just t- too many obstacles to us to work together. And those were around things like um, knowing who existed, who, who was where, you know, who were the experts you needed to speak to, um, different motivations, different expectations, uh, and you know, in trying to work with perhaps a, a company, we'd spend 12 months trying to negotiate agreements around things that we, you know, we didn't even know that we were going to be able to work together on them. So I thought there has to be a much better way to try and get um, kickstart uh, relationships and look at new opportunities and see is there a, a good opportunity here and can we get the right experts to work on it. So that's what drove the program. Um, And it was about trying to get a very simple, transparent model that would allow uh, projects to progress um, quickly and get the right people working on those projects and get them around the table looking at them. So compared to those early days, how would you characterise those interactions now with with industry? Um, So I guess back then, before we launched the programme, 
Uh, at Flinders University, you know, within my lab, I would probably get approaches from maybe two or three companies a year. Um, now we're getting 50 or 60 companies approaching us every year. Uh, and what we do is, is, as I said, try and get the right experts around the table. Um, and it's become a much, much more streamlined process. Um, we've got a, a large network of people who are willing to be engaged in those kind of discussions and those projects. Um, and I feel that the process is is just far more um, uh, easy, particularly for the small companies and the clinicians to negotiate. And of course, uh, MTP Connect's been an enthusiastic backer of MDPP for uh, for a number of years. Um, you've your, your big news is that you've um, been operating in Victoria now for a little while. Tell us how that came about, and maybe Sally, you could answer that question. Well, I think the really great point is, as Karen said, they've got a really well-oiled machine now going in in South Australia with a great set of processes. And so with the support of MTP Connect, Karen and and Joe Close and the team have been exploring opportunities to expand the program across the whole of Australia. And when it came to Victoria, um, we ran she ran a showcase here in Victoria and we had a great turnout of people from across industry and across the, the wider community as well. And that really became the starting point of, yes, we'd like to do this in Victoria. How can we do it? How do we make it work? How do we bring people to the table? And the really big point for us here and is the, the depth of experience in Victoria, obviously. We have a, a a strong med tech and a strong strong med tech industry, but also a very strong hospital and, and community um, group. Um, and those ideas are out there. How do we give them that platform to come into the system and meet other people? Because so many people say, oh, I've got this idea, but I don't know who to talk to about it. And that, to me, when I started really hearing more about how the program worked, seemed like a really great an exciting opportunity for Victoria that we had to be part of. So, you know, in bringing this into Victoria with the support of Launch Vic um, in the last year, what we've been able to do is bring together a community of, of the majority of the universities, and we're actually still in discussions with um, the last couple of universities to come on board. And it's an open policy. It's if you would like to join us, please join us. It's not, oh, you have to p- jump through some hoops. It's it's simply if you're willing to get on board with the mantra really of MDPP, which is all about collaboration. It's all about bringing your skills to the table and it's all about helping people with ideas to move further. So to fly in those earlier stages. Um, and that to me, it's about people. It, it's it's the really important piece around connections and growth um, that mm. happen. And we've got seed funding to do small projects, the same as they do in South Australia. So that gives us a bit of a pull through. But actually, a lot of the value, I think, is in building that community of people that you're now going to know, no matter where you go to from here. So even if mm. we get you and we look at it and go, well, our clinical advice is this may not be the most important problem at the moment, but actually what they're saying is this technology could be really useful for, and so you've got another way to go. So to use the parlance, pivot um, (laughs) um, around. And so for me, that's the excitement in Victoria is this bringing a fully formed program. So we started on the 7th of January this year. We have seen so far 18 clients. And so you know, we're going well, we've we've run some workshops and we're moving forward. So that ability to pick up an existing program, 
um, to have it work and be implemented. I think that's the really exciting point. It's not just that this is something that's unique to South Australia. It's something that's born from South Australia but can definitely be seeded in other places. And clearly the Victorian government's uh, excited to, to back it through Launch Vic. There's potential there for, for, for jobs growth, economic growth in Victoria through the program. Absolutely. And I think the other piece that we're seeing is we're, as, as they do in South Australia, we're bringing our industry partners to the table as well. So we're bringing in the design houses to be part of our network. We're bringing in the IP lawyers. So we've got a lovely group of service providers who can actually then connect to take the next steps with people as well as they need it. So people are getting introductions to a really good group of trusted partners and in the workshop structures that we do. So as we run these workshops, these are not workshops for a whole stack of different companies simultaneously. These are curated, very special workshops around the needs of the client that we have at the time. So we do a lot of legwork to actually bring the right people together, have conversations in the community and get really good groups of people who can actually assist together around this one idea. And I think that makes it really unique in the way that we're structuring these programs. This is for the company or the idea, not for a a generic um, sort of come together and and learn piece. So Sally and Karen, tell tell us a little bit about the specific projects that are undertaken through MDPP. So the projects are, are very variable and they they range from um, kind of simple low-tech devices to help people perhaps um, stand, so bent pieces of metal to help people stand, right through to implantable electronic um, technologies. And so very, very um, broad. And that's, I guess, one of the beauties of the program is that we can then access expertise from almost anywhere to, to be involved in any particular project. Um, and if, to give you uh, an example of a couple of projects, so, uh, for example, one of our projects was um, brought to us by a, a practising nurse who saw an opportunity to develop a device that helped um, a person with limited mobility to, to rise from a, a sitting to a standing position. He developed this lightweight portable frame um, and he wanted some assistance to further, de- further develop his prototype and then potentially to try and get it to market. Um, We brought a a group of people around that, which included um, rehabilitation engineers, aged care providers, physiotherapists. uh, And what we determined for the project was that we would take it into um, some aged care facilities and rehabilitation wards and actually evaluate it, get some feedback, and then redevelop the prototype with him. Um, We also, as part of that process, introduced him to a... Uh, a local manufacturer who's now manufacturing the product and, and he's selling it. So um, that's a, an example, I guess, of a, a very simple project. Um, we've also undertaken a number of projects which are, as I said, far more complex. So, for example, um, looking at uh, surgical products, implantable spinal um, solutions uh, and probes that look to detect cancer margins during um, uh, surgery to to remove a tumour. So really, really broad range of projects. The projects are very short, so they're 250-hour projects, but the idea is to identify a piece of work that can really benefit and take that idea through to the next stage. So now perhaps it's it's ready for, for further investment um, by the company or perhaps by an investor. If we can just take a, a step back, the, the the products we're talking about here are, are kind of global products. 
how does how does Australia meaning meaning they could come out of you know Poland or or Albania or the United States as much as they can come out of Australia? How does Australia, in short, can compete uh, in in this space against the rest of the world? I think if we're making medical device products here in Australia, we absolutely have to ensure that that they are um, global products. Our, our own, I guess, homegrown market is simply really not big enough in most instances to support, um, you know, a, a new product. Uh, and the statistics are that almost everything that we actually make here in uh, Australia ends up being exported, um, and almost any medical technology product that we use has come from overseas. So um, we simply can't just act as a, a sort of an island nation. We need to think in terms of global markets every time we develop a new device. And certainly through the, the MDPP, we look at those um, ideas. We, we say, is this a, a, a product that's going to be required across the world? Um, and new med tech products, I guess, from that perspective, tend to be, um, or the requirement for a new product is that it, it needs to be innovative. Um, it tends to be fairly niche because it's looking for its place in that global market. And as a, a small company or an innovative or an innovator or a startup, it's actually quite hard, um, I think, to necessarily have the contacts that you need in order to be able to really assess those global markets and necessarily also to, to tackle them. So that's one of the things that we try and do through the program is to make those connections um, for the companies when they're, they're starting to think about those kind of um, ideas. And as you work with young innovators, do you think there's an appreciation for the, the fact that it is actually just one big global market and they're competing with everybody else? Uh, I think some of them absolutely understand that. Um, others are perhaps a little bit more naive. <laughs> um, we get such a range of applicants into the, the program that really we see all levels of, of understanding from from actually from companies who are actually well established and understand that kind of um, concept through to somebody who's just had a, a good idea um, but really has no concept of what it might take to take that product through um, to the market. And so um, one of the things I said we do is really just trying to make those contacts that they need in order to be able to really understand that process. And I'd add and I, that one of the biggest challenges, sorry, Stuart, um, one of the biggest challenges is finding out who's actually going to pay for the product. And so a lot of what we can do in terms of talking to clinicians, but also talking to the wider hospital network is to help people understand how those decisions are made and how the um, different reimbursement strategies fall out, who pays for it. Because in Australia alone, obviously, it's a reasonably complex system. But if you're heading into the US or the Europe or the UK, they're different again. And so if at the very earliest stages of your development, you can know that you've got to look at it, then you're ahead of the game. Otherwise, it becomes a very rude shock if you leave it until later. And you may have made decisions that are really expensive to backtrack on. Mm. And what about in the area of um, regulation, where where you know regulation can can assist and 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 help and nurture, but it can also hinder. How do we how do we get the balance around regulation right for you know patient protection, but also encouraging innovation and 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 aligning with kind of global regulatory uh, frameworks. So the first thing that we would do with our MDPP clients is really just ensure that they have started to think about um, regulation. Um, and I think this is a big issue is that um, 
many innovators actually think about regulation too late in the piece. And if we can at least get them starting to think about it really at the very, very early stages when they're developing the idea uh, and getting it through to proof of concept, then I think that actually will will help um, because regulation, quite simply, is not something that you can then just add on at the end. And if you do that, that's when it becomes a real burden and that's when people start to say, oh, it's all just so hard and it takes so long and it's so expensive. Um, if you start thinking about it early, you, you just sort of absorb it through the process and it becomes much more straightforward. And, and I think... I should say... Sorry, um, I, I should say at this juncture that uh, you're, you're on the advisory committee for the Therapeutic Goods Administration, the TGA in Australia. So um, you're, you're coming from a position, Karen, of um, some considerable knowledge about these matters. Yes, I, I've sat on that committee actually now for, I think, over 10 years. So I do have some experience. Um, our experience is, is primarily in the, the kind of highly regulated space. So those kind of class three type medical device products um, and, you know, they're the ones that, that where the challenge really becomes, I guess, quite significant because these are ones that are, uh, you know, very implantable, um, potentially, um, you know, electrical signals within the body, that kind of thing. So um, a, a fairly complex and interesting space. Mm. So, sorry, Sarah Lee, I, uh, I interrupted you. Sorry, no. Um, and I was just going to add, there's decisions you make along the way with your design and your approach to manufacturing that if you don't understand the regulatory affairs side of what you need to do, then you might pick the wrong manufacturer or you might design something that's actually very hard in terms of the regulatory requirements as well. So, again, understanding what might push your device um, between different levels. And that's where um, the TGA's SME Assist program is really excellent because you can get into that system, it's online, and you can ask all sorts of questions and get very clear answers, advice from that program. Um, and it's free. It's, it's there to be used. Um, so I really encourage everybody who's starting to look at that to really take a look at what's on the Therapeutic Goods Administration's website. They're really working alongside and with companies to make sure that the regulatory side of things is not as obstructive, um, isn't, is, but is an approachable system that you can actually work through. As far as I can tell, Australia has a pretty good reputation from a from a regulation perspective globally. I mean, is that would that be f fair? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, and for good reason. You know, we we do have um, you know good record of of having you know safe and efficacious products, and and that's because of the the stringent way um, TGA go about their their regulatory business. You know, I've always been very impressed, um, and as Sally said. They are mindful that despite being extremely um, stringent and appropriately so, they are also trying to work closely with our, our new companies, particularly, you know, the SME Assist program is there to try and support people who do have a good idea and a new product to try and get that product through and onto the market. So if our medtech innovators can navigate the regulatory frameworks and the, the international market sort of challenges that they have to deal with. How are they ever going to compete with these new entrants like, like Apple and, and Samsung? I think there's an interesting differentiator there. I mean, they're data companies to a large extent. So what they're doing is playing to their strengths, obviously, and it's very much in the digital health space. The add-ons are the products that 
are the wearables and and the devices that will link into those things. So you've got the situation where you've got lots of APIs that give you a framework to link into with those companies. So there's actually quite a range of startups that are leveraging off the Apple and the Samsung type basis um, for their market um, extravaganza because that does give them direct entry into a very broad base of accepted um, systems. Um, but obviously there's a wide range of other medical devices that don't sort of broach into that field of, of that type of data and then, you know, the sort of things that Karen was talking about with assistive devices that don't have to be high-tech they just have to work for the people who are using them. Um, and that's actually, I think, the fascinating side of what we see um, through so many of our ideas is the best ideas come in and you're like, oh, of course, that's how you'd solve it. That's going to work. Um, it's not overcomplicated. It's doing the KISS principles. It's keeping it simple. Um, but it's <laughs> it's useful and usable. And I really believe that at the heart of what we look at in medical devices, if it's not useful and usable and if people don't immediately go, that's going to solve a problem for me, we need to have another look at whether we're taking the right approach. We can all add more bells and whistles to an existing system, but does it actually add value and does it actually add something to the healthcare system? Does it help keep people safe? Um, And So really within MDPP, they're the types of questions we're asking. Is it a nice to have or is it something that when we talk to clinicians, they're like, ooh, that's cool. I'd love to hear more about that. They're the questions we want to have people ask. And when the technologists go, that sounds cool. I know how to solve that problem. Um, That's when we know we're on a winner. And so we get to sort of market test without acknowledging, uh, without sharing IP at that stage, we're going out to test the market at a very early stage with these products. And so you see somebody's eyes light up and you're like, great, okay, this is looking good <laughs> as we have the conversations. So Karen, do you have a view on these um, these new entrants? Are they, are they disruptors or are they actually creating new opportunities? Um, I think a bit of both, to be honest. Um, and certainly to, to sort of go back to the regulatory side of that, um, it's, you know, a, a product is only regulated if it makes therapeutic or medical claims. So if it claims to be helping um, from a medical perspective. So it, it's a problem for the regulators where we are getting companies who are producing consumer products that nominally um, do measure your your heart rate, for example, but if it's not um, if that product isn't claiming to have any kind of therapeutic benefits, then it doesn't need to be regulated and so of course, people are now sort of taking gospel truth from devices that haven't necessarily had full proper clinical evaluation um, they aren't necessarily recording um, you know the information that that uh, that they should. And so it's a problem for the regulators because um, we've got that now, that that kind of blend where uh, we used to just have medical products and now we've got these medical products that are sort of blending into the consumer market and they aren't being regulated um, and potentially therefore misleading our, our, um, our consumers. I also think, though, there's 
a really interesting space and an opportunity here. And, and obviously programs like Ant Health uh, are trying to tap into that program where you're actually looking at some of those products and collecting the clinical evidence to say whether they can actually add value in terms of um, patient outcomes and, and making sure that we have those steps. So that is still in quite an early phase, I think, in Australia. I think it's a real opportunity for us in Australia to be developing up um, a strong market for evidence-based devices that are at the lower risk categories, but that we actually do have an ability to assess them to see if they can do give us more in terms of health care rather than sick care mm. as well, because that um, prevention piece and the maintenance piece of people with chronic diseases is going to be incredibly important, or it is incredibly important, I should say. It's not going to be. So you've successfully launched in Victoria. What's what's next for MDPP? Well, so um, well, thanks particularly to with um, uh, to support from MTP Connect. We're continuing to to look across the country. So um, we're in discussions um, with some regional champions in New South Wales. We're talking in Queensland and Western Australia, and hoping to su- secure support for. The program to expand into those other regions. Um, you know, I think there's opportunity across the country. We've got a model that's proven to work, uh, and we're just really excited to see you know where we can take it. Getting out beyond the capital cities, I think, is also really important. So, you know, in Victoria, we're looking to the universities who have footprints in the regional. Um, centres and partnering them with regional universities as well to make sure that we're spreading this. Um, It's not saying that all the ideas come from the big capital cities. All the ideas come from the community. And I think one of the joys of MTPP is that those ideas come from everywhere. You could be working in government and know and, and have worked out how to solve a problem, you should be able to bring that to MDPP and work on it if that's what's interesting you. Um, it, it's not defining. We're not saying all the ideas have to come from a certain group of people. What we are saying is great ideas come from everywhere. Let's get as many people together around those great ideas. And what we want to do is to, to get the right people around those ideas. So, you know, whether an idea comes from... Western Australia, the best researchers are in Queensland and the best company to take it to the market is in Victoria. That's great. Let's get them together. You know, we're a a large country, but we need to work on this as a collective. And the other piece is the capability of infrastructure that we have through organisations like CSIRO and the Australian National Fabrication Facilities, all of the other NCRIS capabilities. We want to tap into those. They've been invested in by our governments. We want to make sure that people know they exist and, and are available to them to access as well that can help move them forward. Well, uh, Sally and Karen, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast and sharing your stories today. Thank thanks, you. Stuart. A big thanks to Professor Karen Reynolds and Professor Sally MacArthur from MDPP for their time today. And thank you to you for for listening to the MTP Connect podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review and a rating. Uh, Five stars would be good if you feel that way inclined. So until next time.